This is Outrageous History. Hello everyone, I'm Ernest Granson and welcome to Outrageous History, where we examine some of the most bizarre, strange, but also most intriguing people and events that have helped shape the history of our world. Today we're going to hear an odd story about the early days of the town of Creston and the Columbia Valley in the southeastern part of British Columbia, Canada. Creston, B.C., with its population of just over 5,000, is long known for its agricultural production, while the Columbia Valley draws in many tourists because of its spectacular scenery. At the center of the story are two major North American rivers, the mighty Columbia and the Kootenai, and an Englishman by the name of William Bailey Grohman, who roamed western Canada and the United States during the late 1800s as a big game hunter. But Bailey Groman's big game hunting took a back seat when he became involved in an outlandish scheme to dig a two-kilometer-long canal between the headwaters of the Columbia River and the Kootenai River. Or was it outlandish? Let's go have a chat with Tammy Bradford, who is the manager of the Creston and District Museum and Archives. Hi there, Tammy. Welcome to Outrageous History. Hi, and thank you. Uh, so, Tammy, I first came across the story of the town of Canal Flats, which is located at the uh, south end of the beautiful Columbia Lake, and uh, found that it received its name while I was researching to do an article on recreation in the Columbia Valley. And that's when I found out that, technically speaking, um, the two major rivers flow within two kilometers of each other, almost sandwiching Canal Flats, I guess. Now, William Bailey Groman came to the same kind of realization in the late 1800s. Uh, his attempt to join the two waterways with the canal seems almost bizarre, but, but was it really? Who was William Bailey Groman and why did he come up with this apparently wild scheme? Well, William Adolph Bailey Groman was, as you say, an English adventurer. I understand he was a remittance man, a younger, perhaps troublesome son of a fairly wealthy English family. The, there were quite a few remittance men in Western Canada sent out to the colonies basically to get them out of the way. <laughs> they, they might have, you know, just not had much of an inheritance because in England, of course, the, the land gets passed down entirely to the eldest son. So the youngest son might be kind of left in the lurch without much to live on. Uh, he might have got into a little trouble with the law, perhaps a disapproving dalliance with the local ladies or something, you know, anything. One of the remittance men we know of here in Creston had a speech impediment, which to an upper-class English family would be enough of an embarrassment that they just want to quietly get him out of the way at that time. So uh, the remittance part of that term comes from the fact that they were sent basically an allowance every month or every quarter here you go, live on this, stay over there in Canada, do your thing, have fun. Um, so Bailey Groman came out here, he was backed by his family, he was looking for an adventure, he was a hunter, he traveled all over the world hunting, you know, the, the quintessential image of the great white hunter and all that that means for colonialism and everything. Bailey Groman epitomized that for better or for worse. And he came out here hunting mountain goat 
It was a trophy he had yet to add to his collection, and he was bound and determined he was going to get him a mountain goat out here in the wilds of British Columbia. And in the process, as he came up the Kootenai River from the United States onto Kootenai Lake and then up towards the north end of the lake, he realized that there was this vast floodplain here that had huge agricultural potential, and that's what he wanted. Um, he wasn't so much interested in building canals and changing riverways and everything, except as it would enable him to do his, his grandiose reclamation plan here, south of Creston. So, um, he, legend has it that he was up on top of this mountain with Teddy Roosevelt, then the future president of the United States. Um, there is a very, very small grain of truth behind that story, but in fact, Bailey Groman was not on top of that mountain with Teddy Roosevelt. He was up there with his guides and perhaps a couple of companions looking over the flats at the south end of the valley here in Creston and thinking back to things he had read from other researchers, other explorers, and realizing that there was vast potential for agricultural farmland on those flatlands if they could be reclaimed from the annual flooding of the Kootenai River. And his way of doing that was to go up to what's now known as Canal Flats on that little stretch of land between the two headwaters. And according to the Chinaha creation stories, he was going to reconnect a waterway that originally had been all one. Uh, the Chinaha creation story has it that there was a water monster who was causing all sorts of trouble for the animal people. And they finally, after chasing him around this great circuit of what we now call the Kootenai and the Columbia Rivers, trapped him by building that ridge of land between Columbia Lake and the Kootenai River and killed him there. So Bailey Groman comes along and he decides he is going to reopen the connection between those waterways so that the, the water that flows down the Kootenai would flow down the Columbia instead. He actually got permission from the provincial government to do this. He had originally intended to do a diversion, simply divert the Kootenai into the Columbia and be done with it. But somebody really should have done their homework. Because like I say, he got permission from the provincial government to do this, but it's the federal government that has jurisdiction over waterways. And this was going to mess up not one, but two international waterways. And you can't just do that. So, uh, to make matters worse, the federal government was desperate to finish their transcontinental railway. They had all of their surveys done, it included a number of trestles over the Columbia River, and those surveys and the plans for the trestles did not take into account all of the extra water that Bailey Groman was planning to send down the Kootenai, or the Columbia's waterway, from the Kootenai. So, the federal government said, no! You cannot build a diversion. You can connect the two waterways, absolutely, but you have to put in a series of locks so that the water of the Kootenai stays in the Kootenai and the water of the Columbia stays in the Columbia. Now, this, of course, put paid rather rapidly to Bailey Groman's plan to stop the flooding down here at Creston. He'd already gone to so much trouble and effort at this point that he figured he might as well finish it. Uh, as I understand it, he got a ship going through in one direction and a ship going through in the other direction, and that is the sum total of use of this very expensive canal that he built up there at Canal Flats. Now, he, he mentioned in his book 
that uh, that the building of that canal was not necessarily the hardest uh, uh, thing about the whole project. He, he said basically it was just building a big ditch. But I I did I I, I was taken aback by his description of bringing the uh, steamship down the Columbia, or actually it would be up the Columbia at that point, wouldn't it? And uh, because he would have, that was one of the requirements that he was, uh, would have to run a boat through the canal locks. And his description of he and his crew bringing that boat, uh, it, it kind of defies a belief that they could even have got it that far. You mean the SS Midge? Yes. <laughs> The infamous SS Midge. Infamous SS Midge, first steamship on Kootenay Lake. And yeah, one of the conditions of this this grand reclamation scheme, which is what it boiled down to, that's it's that attempt to turn the flats west of Preston into farmland that triggered everything else that Bailey Groman did. It was all tied into that in one way or another. And when he went to the provincial government for permission to do his his diversion of the Kootenay River, uh, the government said, fine, but you have to put a steamship on the lake within three years. So he really didn't want to deal with boats. He just had to because of this, this condition that the provincial government had imposed on him, just like he didn't want to build locks in his canal. But he had to because that was a condition that the federal government imposed on him. Uh, so... In the early 1880s, this is 1883 or so, um, there were no boat building facilities in the Kootenays. Bailey Groman went back to England where he knew of a friend of his who had this little steamship. And she was about 30 feet long, built in Norway and made of teak, so very durable. Her boiler and machinery were so big that they took up pretty much the entire space within the vessel itself and haul any freight, he had to tow a barge on behind. So, But getting her to the, the midge to Canada wasn't a big deal. He just strapped this little deck onto, or little ship onto the deck of a, an Atlantic steamer, sent her into Montreal, and there he ran into problem number one, which was customs. Canadian customs wanted to slap fairly significant import duties on this ship. Uh, Bailey Groman doesn't specify what they were, but he does say that they were exorbitant, and he did not want to pay them. Fortunately for him, he had a friend fairly high up in the customs department, went to this friend, and they, the two of them were trying to figure out a loophole, how to get this ship in to the country without paying these exorbitant customs duties. <laughs> and the loophole that Bailey Groman found was a little statement in the Settlers Act, because at this time, of course, the federal government was desperately trying to fill up the Canadian West, primarily to stop American expansionism. And so anything that you were bringing into Western Canada to establish a farm there came in duty-free. Bailey Grom was pointing this out to his friend in the customs, in customs department and saying, there we go, this is how we're going to do it. This is a farm implement. And this, the customs agent is thinking, seriously, how do you justify a ship as a farm implement? And Bailey Groman was nothing if not inventive. He very accurately pointed out that the land he wanted to farm out here west of Creston was underwater. He needed the steamship to pull the plow. 
Ludicrous as it seems, it worked. He got the ship into Canada duty free, put her on the transcontinental railways through the United States because the Canadian one wasn't built yet, um, shipped her to Sandpoint and then overland from there to Bonner's Ferry and into the Kootenai River. And that's where he, when he's writing about it, he's describing this series of rollers. They had to drag this thing overland. The way he writes about it, he did all of this work, but I seriously doubt he did much more than supervise. In fact, if you read his account of his first trip, his hunting trip up the, the Kootenai River, Kootenai Lake, looking for his mountain goat, he describes his Chinaka guides as basically servants. They are doing all the work. He's sitting there in the middle of the canoe, leaning against his pack. The worst thing that happens to him is he loses his shaving kit overboard. So. I don't see this guy really being the one putting the rollers under the ship and dragging it over and hauling it up and down hills and everything. He had people that he paid to do that. He did not do it himself. So he did complete the canal. Uh, did he complete the locks as well as required? And, and what eventually happened to that um, canal? He did complete the canal. He did build the locks. Like I say, there was a ship that went through once in each direction, and that was it. The canal fell into disuse and deteriorated very soon after that. But well, what is the story about the canal or the uh, one of the ships having to be uh, uh, removed by dynamite? Or was that the canal itself? Uh, that might have been the canal itself. I'm not familiar with that part oh. of the story. Oh, I thought one of the ships got stuck in the canal. Uh, I would have to dig into that, but it would be oh. very typical of Bailey Grohman's <laughs> projects there was always something that seemed to go wrong well what finally ended the whole scheme the whole scheme actually did not end ultimately the flats were reclaimed but bailey groman had nothing to do with it with that final success uh, after he'd given up on the canal flat scheme built his canal saw his boat go through once in each direction he went to, over to nelson at an area where the kootenai river Kootenai Lake becomes the west arm at Nelson and then narrows further to become the Kootenai River that flows west to Castlegar. And where it narrows is still called Groman Narrows to this day because Bailey Groman went over there and attempted to dredge it out in the belief that if he did so, it would make the lake drain faster and therefore prevent the flooding down here at Creston. Now, this idea did come forward again in the early to mid-1930s. West Kootenai Power had proposed it, and after the flood of 1938 that destroyed the farmlands here, um, West Kootenai went on record in the newspaper saying, yeah, if we'd been allowed to do this, that flood would never have happened. I don't know, maybe there is something to it. To me, it seems a little bit strange to think that a lake that's, what, 96 miles long, fed at both ends by three rivers and in the middle by a number of creeks, could possibly drain fast enough through this tiny little opening over west of Nelson to prevent this colossal flooding that we saw every year at Creston. But I'm guessing West Kootenai would have had engineers looking at it, so maybe there was something to it. And but, those, uh, the, uh, I, I, from what I understand, uh, uh, Bailey Grohman wasn't the... Uh, definitely not the first to want to try to do something about that flooding uh, at Creston. Uh, the dikes had been built previously, and so it was no. a real problem. No, not prior to Bailey Groman. 
there have been mm. people, earlier explorers, who came through and recognized the potential of the the flats as farmland if the flooding could be prevented. Um, but there had been nothing done to it, uh, done about it until Bailey Groman. Uh, Bailey Groman started with his canal flats scheme, and then he went to his Groman narrow scheme, and then he gave up in disgust. He sold everything to the Alberta BC Exploration Company, went back to England, vowing never to have anything to do with the Kootenays again, and in fact, describing canal building as a way of committing suicide in a decent, <laughs> gentlemanly manner. And of course, in the process, he'd blown a good chunk of the family fortunes. But it was the Alberta BC Exploration Company that in 1892-93 got involved in this. They're the ones who started building the dikes. Now, they were not successful either because the spring of 1894, Mother Nature had a hissy fit. Um, long, cold spring following a very high snowfall winter and then very rapid warming. And all of the dikes that they had built down on, on Boundary Creek right at the south end of the valley wound up washing away into Kootenay Lake. So, so there were a number of attempts after that. It wasn't until 1934-35 that the diking was finally successfully completed and even then we had two flood years 1938 and 1948 but Bailey Groman had nothing to do with diking in fact he expressly said that it would never work it was the stupid stupidest idea all of these other schemes that he came up with in his opinion were far more likely to succeed and certainly the diversion one of Kootenai River into Columbia Lake would have had a huge impact on the flooding here if he had been allowed to actually do that. Now, are you able to see any remains of, of the canal? At Canal Flats? Mm -hmm. Not that I know of. Um, and I don't believe there's much left at Groman Narrows of anything that Bailey Groman did. He was basically dredging, and he says he had started this perfectly easy work and then just gave it up. So I don't think he ever actually finished that. Um, like I say, he didn't have anything to do with building the dikes here, but you can still see remnants of what's known as the Englishman's Dike. It's down at the very south end of mm -hmm. the valley along Boundary Creek. And the Englishman in this case is George Alexander, the guy who owned the Alberta BC Exploration Company that started that diking. So, so there is still a legacy of that very early part or efforts at, at reclamation, and certainly the flat farmlands that are out there now are an ongoing legacy of it. And, you know, there's a few other stories you could probably tell about uh, Bailey Groman, which we might uh, take you up on uh, in the future. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, thanks for uh, talking to us about what really seemed to be the Wild West that seemed to be authentically the Wild West. It was. Mm -hmm. Thanks for telling us about this wonderful piece of history of the Columbia uh, Valley and the Kootenai areas uh, of uh, southeastern BC, Tammy. You're quite welcome. And to all of you, I thank you for tuning in to Outrageous History. I'm Ernest Granson. We'll see you again soon. Outrageous History is produced by Northern Flicker Media.